0: You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast,
1: available free on iTunes. The piece that is being no longer funded by the city is going to be funded by private lenders. There's not going to be a high degree of willingness to finance that on a concert-only business. So they're going to want some commitment from a league uh, that there's a team coming here, and then we could start construction.
0: That's today's guest, Chris Hansen, the investor leading a group attempting to build a sports and entertainment complex in Seattle's Soto neighborhood in hopes of welcoming an NBA franchise back to the city. I'm Jeff Schulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast opens a window into the hearts and minds of two people who have led persistent efforts to bring an NBA franchise back to Seattle. You will get a fan perspective from Jeff Brown. In the nearly 10 years since the Sonics departed, he's continued to maintain and grow the Bring Back Our Sonics movement over 30,000 fans strong. He'll share what motivates him to continue his efforts and how he feels about the latest developments. You'll also hear from Chris Hansen, who has been working for several years to try to be an owner of a Seattle Supersonics franchise. He shares his motivations and gives rare insights into what he needs in order to be able to put a shovel in the ground on an NBA-ready arena in Seattle. We are gearing up for Sonic Boom Day, April 17th, Multiple groups are competing to build a sports and entertainment complex capable of bringing the Sonics home. And City Council will soon be choosing between a Seattle Center location and a SOTO location. Sonic Boom Day, April 17th, is a day in which you can join others from around the city in expressing where you would like City Council to pave the way for a world-class sports and entertainment complex. Check out seattlegrowthpodcast.com slash sonicboom for more details. We are nearing the end of an 11-episode look at what a return of the Sonics would mean to you and life in this city. Whether you're a basketball fan or not, you will be affected by the city's choice of where to allow roughly half a billion dollars to be invested in this major capital project. In last week's episode, Seattle Growth Podcast examined how real estate would be affected by the arena location. You heard from Craig Kinzer, founder and CEO of Kinzer Partners.
2: Over in Soto, I also don't see an immediate increase in value. We certainly didn't see it with either of the other stadiums. Over time, uh, if the proper zoning and growth occur around the stadiums, you will see a growth in property values.
0: You heard from Matthew Gardner, chief economist at Windermere Real Estate.
1: As far as the key is concerned, um, from a housing perspective, I'd have to say there would be more losers than there would be winners. And that's gonna be very geographically specific.
0: And you heard from realtors, Tyler Davis Jones and Phil Greeley of the Rise
2: Seattle podcast. You I'm, I'm thinking like maybe if affecting home values in Soto, Georgetown area, potentially, like that might be a more uh, viable place for someone to move if they're a huge NBA fan. My long-term um, crystal ball is White Center is going to be like a Ballard at some point. yeah. And so yeah. if you had another entertainment district like just not that far away from a location like that, then I think you could see home values rising and
0: neighborhoods changing. As we transition to today's episode, you will get a better understanding of what the arena could mean to your neighbors who are passionate Sonics fans and what one group is proposing to do in Seattle's Soto neighborhood that could affect all of Seattle. Now join me as I sit down with the leader of the Bring Back the Sonics movement, Jeff Brown. I am here with Jeff Brown. Jeff runs the Bring Back Our Sonics Twitter and Facebook page, which has tens of thousands of likes and followers. He's also a contributing writer to Sonics Rising, uh, covering primarily the storm, for which he also has a podcast uh, that you should check out, Storm Chasers. Jeff, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so why don't we start by telling me a little bit about
2: what is the role that basketball has had in your life? Oh, uh, it's, it's huge. Um, just from the time I was really, really little, my dad was taking me to Sonics games and taking me to basketball camps. And I remember going to Nate McMillan's basketball camp, like two different ones all across the state, just when I was a really little kid. Um, it was just a huge thing that, uh, my family bonded over cause even my mom would go to games too, but it was really a special thing between me and my dad. And, um, you know, obviously since the Sonics have left, it's just been heartbreaking for me and my family. And it's, it's been something that just have not been able to get over. And so really trying to do whatever we can, obviously, you know, there's going to be people that have the millions of dollars, millions and billions of dollars. Um, but obviously what can we do? Right. And so trying to find ways to help out in that regard. And that's kind of why we came up with bring back our Sonics.
0: And so tell me a little bit more about Bring Back Our Sonics. What are you doing with that, and how did you get started?
2: Yeah, so uh, like I said, my dad and I, we were season ticket holders or even half-season ticket holders basically my entire life, so 20-some years before they left. And, um, And then before they left, but once Oklahoma had bought them, you know, obviously there was a great concern there because they had just had the Hornets for a few years and we knew they wanted NBA and we found a group called Save Our Sonics. And so we just kind of tried to volunteer and help out with them. And we did that for, you know, one or two years, uh, obviously, ultimately not being able to save our Sonics, um, but, you know, doing anything that we could. And then, um, you know, maybe a couple years had passed and we were just frustrated and wanted to find a way to help out and so that's when we came up with the bring back our sonics uh social media movement if you will
0: and now it's been almost a decade since they've departed how strong is that movement
2: uh i mean i think it's really impressive that like because we don't you know we don't have a lot of excess cash we don't put like advertising dollars into it or anything it's really just dedication and being loyal to it and you know constantly um kind of interacting with fans, engaging with fans. And so, and we've been able to build up, you know, a Facebook page that has, I think around 35,000 likes and, Uh, a Twitter page that has over 21,000 followers, which I think is pretty incredible just because this is, you know, not, we're not a celebrity. We're not, you know, we don't have any advertising dollars. This is just, here is a group that is really dedicated to a cause that a ton of people are very passionate about in this area still. Why are you still passionate about it? I think it's something that we're just so invested in. Like I said, I mean, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, my dad and I didn't always have the best relationship overall, but one thing we always had was basketball and the Sonics, and that was something that was really important to us, and, you know, fortunately, we still have the Storm, which we've been, you know, really big into for all the years that they've been around, um, but it's it's something that we've just been so into and so involved with, and, you know, like we said, we, we tried to, we were the season ticket holders. Then we were trying to be members of Save Our Sonics and work with that. Now, countless years is, you know, working with Bring Back Our Sonics. It's something we're so invested in. And we're just really want to help right on because, uh, because Seattle had the NBA for 41 years and, you know, we're a fantastic market. We deserve to have our NBA team. And so we want to do whatever we can to help bring a team back to Seattle.
0: And so now there's at least picking up steam and headlines in the last few months here of a Sonics return, or at least an arena being built. What are your feelings or what's going through your mind at the moment?
2: Uh, so it, it's been a lot of up and downs. I mean, because you, you can go back a few years. We obviously had the sac, sacram- well, we had 2012 was when Chris Hansen kind of first came about and was proposing this arena and actually got approved initially through city council and the mayor at the time and stuff. And um, you know, so that was really good. And then we got the Keynes, not even that much longer after that. And then of course that got voted down. And then I think it was the year after that Steve Ballmer left the group to buy the the Clippers and so it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um and then obviously earlier uh this year in May when it got voted down, unfortunately five to four by the city council to block the street vacation, um At that point, it was really, you know, like, hey, we've put so much time and effort into this, but maybe there's just nothing that can be done. And so it was really discouraging. I mean, you try not, especially to the public, you try not to, like, broadcast that too much because you want people to keep the faith because I think that ultimately it will happen. um, But you just you got to keep putting in the effort and believing and stuff and um but this most recent news with Nolly with Hanson going private, adding Russell Wilson, and then this other group, um, you know, led by uh, Tim Liwicki and the I think they're the OVG group. Um, and they're partnered with Madison Square Garden, a lot of money and a lot of like big business people with big connections and they want to redo the seattle center site they don't call it key arena because they they do you know one that's it's not paid for anymore but also because i think they don't they would want to do a full re rebuild of that area of an arena in that area um and so that's that's really encouraging because now it seems like more than ever we're gonna have um Kind of two big groups that potentially one of these could go through, and it's got to happen. I mean, there's no way that the NBA or the NHL are going to give us a team if all we have is a worn down key arena, you know. So that's so there is a lot of positive movement heading into 2017. Now,
0: can you describe the most memorable moment you've had uh, interacting with the Sonics?
2: I mean, it's it's hard to pick one. A lot of it is just games with my dad. I mean, I think I meant, you know, I mentioned earlier, like I remember as real little went to Nate McMillan's basketball camp. I remember going, I think it was maybe the 92 team and we got to go and get all their autographs and stuff like that. But I think really um, more so than one specific moment, it's just a lot of Going to those games, being in the stands, you know, here in the crowd, just raucous, you know, especially in playoff like uh, 96 against the Jazz, even uh, 2004, 2005, the playoffs against the Spurs. And, um, you know, those were some crazy games and some awesome series. And so just to be a part of all that and then also to, to bond with that with my family.
0: And why basketball? Uh, You've got many other sports, college, why even professional basketball? You've got college basketball, uh, soccer, football, college football, lots of
2: options for sports here in Seattle. Why professional basketball for you? I think, I mean, for me, it's probably a combination of that seemed to be the sport that my dad was, was most into. And I think maybe some things just click with you, right? Like, we all have our passions. And that's, I mean, that's really, for me, basketball has always been that. I mean, even now with the Sonics gone. Going forward, if you can get a message out to the future ownership as to what you would
0: like to see them do, what would you say to them?
2: I mean, I think just getting us the team back. For me, I think a huge thing is just having that team back I mean because it's I remember when we lost them my friend who's not even that big into basketball but he texted me and he's like dude what's going on and I just responded I feel dead inside and they're without having the Sonics I do feel incomplete and it's something that I just haven't been able to move on from until we write this wrong and so I think by bringing the team back to Seattle hopefully for good And, um, and giving to future generations, you know, like I said, I coach a lot of youth leagues, but you know, most of these kids are probably six to 12 years old or whatever. They don't even really know about the Sonics at all. And that, that breaks my heart. And, you know, I don't have kids yet, but I hope to have kids later on. And, um, you know, I, I would love to be able to share that bond that my father had with me and my, my family had with me moving forward.
0: Any concluding thoughts on the future of the Sonics and, what you hope will happen and what it would mean for you.
2: Yeah. I guess in conclusion, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to this next year, this, the city of Seattle and their government, it has to get it right. Whether it's key arena, Seattle center location, soda location, we have to get one of them and get going on this building. Um, That way we're going to be able to bring these franchises. And you look at like what just happened with the sounders parade. And we all know, the Seahawks and Blue Friday and the and the huge parade that we had when we won the championship and just how much those teams mean there are a lot of kids that don't have that with basketball and hockey but they they would love that and that's huge I think for not just us but also our future generations.
0: Jeff thank you very much for your time it was nice to meet you and hear your perspective today. Thank Thank you. you for having me. Next up on Seattle Growth Podcast is Chris Hansen the man who almost brought the Sonics back to Seattle in 2012 and has yet to give up on his efforts. But first, remember that April 17th is Sonic Boom Day. You've read about it on geekwire.com. You've read about it on sonicsrising.com. You've heard about it on Cairo Radio. Now hear it here in Seattle Growth Podcast. People from all over the city will join together on one day to reach out to Seattle Council and have their voice be heard. Whether you can email, call, or visit their offices, share your thoughts on where you want the arena to be located visit Seattlegrowthpodcast.com/sonicboom for guidance on how to effectively engage our civil servants. Now join me as I sit down with Chris Hansen. I'm downtown here with Chris Hansen, uh, a man making headlines for his persistent efforts to return the Sonics back to Seattle. Chris, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, of course, no problem. Why don't we start by having you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, I don't know how much you want to know. I mean it's a pretty open-ended question, but uh, uh, I grew up here in Seattle. Um, my parents moved here when I was, uh, I guess about six. And so I spent most of my impressionable years here. Um, mom was a social worker, kind of grew up in Rainier Valley, South Seattle. And, um, and yeah, I mean, obviously a pretty impressionable period. I was here as a youth when, uh, we got the Mariners and, the and the Seahawks franchises and, uh. Uh, one of my earliest sports memories was, was obviously the Sonics winning the title in 79, losing in 78 first, winning it in 79. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, lived here through high school, spent a couple of years back after college and, and you know, my uh, sports heart, you know, has always been here in Seattle. So. And what role has basketball played in your life? I mean, other than uh, being five foot eight and not being able to play it as well as I would like. Uh, you know, I, I think basketball, growing up in the Rainier Valley, basketball is uh, is unique, you know, uh, uh, in its, you know, both the ability of, you know, urban kids to play it, uh, you know, and it served as kind of an outlet uh, for staying out of trouble and staying in shape. Um, but also, you know, I mean, I think um, one of the things we've talked a lot about is just the power of, you know, professional sports to affect change in, in communities. And it's not, you know... I mean, I think the cursory thing that people look at is like, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, Brandon Roy or Jamal Crawford grew up and they made it to the pros. You know, I I can be a pro basketball player too. I think that's the really shallow way to look at it. The much more important message is when those guys come back into the community and they actually do things and encourage kids to stay in school and read and stay out of trouble. I mean, that's really the impact it has in the community. And I think... um, Anybody who uh, follows basketball here in Seattle, I'm not even talking about the Sonics, just basketball in general. um, The impact that those guys, Nate Robinson and, uh, you know, uh, Jason Terry and all these guys have made in Seattle is really pretty incredible.
0: And so several years ago, you purchased the Sacramento Kings in an effort to relocate them here to Seattle. What do you recall from the time... As it looked like you were going to be the one to return the NBA to this city?
1: Well, I would say we attempted to purchase the Kings. (laughs) It wasn't a, uh, we had an agreement to purchase the Kings and it didn't really work out uh, the way we would have liked. But, you know, I mean, I think we learned a lot of things in the process, you know, that for better and for worse. um, You know, one is I think uh, we, we really entered into that situation with the belief that the team was going to move for sure. I mean, that was kind of uh, based on our due diligence and discussions with other owners and people at the league. Obviously, we were under the impression that if we could reach an agreement with the Maloofs, that everybody was pretty happy, you know, to have the team move. And if it wasn't moving to Seattle, it was going to move somewhere else. Um, And obviously, that changed along the way um, and put us in a pretty awkward position where, you know, given that Seattle lost its basketball franchise, we were then competing with another city that was kind of faced with a similar situation. Uh, and, uh, you know, so one thing I think we try to avoid that going forward. I mean, we don't want to be seen as the uh, predator out there trying to poach teams away from from other cities. That really wasn't on our, on our agenda. And I think we had, a, you know, obviously a soft spot in our heart for people in Sacramento, uh, given that we had gone through a similar experience a couple of years prior.
0: And when it looked like you were going to succeed and you,
1: you had the reaction here in Seattle, what went through your mind or what were you feeling? I mean, it, I think... Away from that, just the, you know, the amount of energy that was here, um, it was it was pretty, you know, it's almost like winning a championship. Like it was almost like a team on its path on a on a good playoff run where there was just so much fire and fuel in the city to have basketball back here. And the amount of people, you know, walking around and uh, in old Sonics gear to, you know, we had this priority ticket wait list we put up. And I mean, we had, you know. 50,000 responses in the 24 hours of people wanting season tickets and suites. And, um, so there's, you know, it was, it was, really exciting from, from that standpoint just to see the, you know, uh, like collective passion that exists in the city for basketball. So, uh, just to be a part of that was really, really fun. And, uh, you know, that's the reason why we're still doing it, obviously. I mean, we, you know, that I, I think it may ebb and flow. It's, it's hard to sustain that level of energy for like, a 10 year period without, you know, uh, getting really close to the finish line again. But I'm also at the same time, I'm 100% positive that if we approach the finish line again, in our efforts, that it will just, you know, it'll come back like that.
0: And so what did it feel like when the NBA voted against the the sale and the relocation?
1: Um, You know, it was definitely disappointing. I think uh, we had two separate votes, if if you remember. And um, the first one was the relocation committee, actually voting it down, which was Really, a sign that um, the NBA in general is not going to support it. Um, that, that was obviously really disappointing. That wasn't what we expected to happen. I mean, in hindsight, maybe um, we should have been a little bit more aware that that could happen, just given the efforts that Sacramento had put, you know, last second efforts that they had put forward to really, uh, you know, try to find an arena solution. And, and again, you have to tip your cap to them for. Having gotten it done on such short notice, I mean the arena's built now and the golden one center's there and and the, t- the team's flourishing but um at the same time for us, I mean obviously to be that close and have the rug kind of pulled out from you was was you know was no doubt a tough not just for me but for I think Sonic's fans had a lost their franchise you know uh you know just four years before to get so close and have it look like the team is you know a hundred percent coming back and then to have this hope stashed at the end was. Was no doubt a tough blow,
0: and so why not give up at that point?
1: It's just not really, you know, it's not really in my DNA. I would say, uh, you know, um, you know, just from my upbringing, you know, I think I, I faced a lot of obstacles along the way, and you know, just staying positive. I mean, you're always dealing with setbacks, you know. I mean, whether it's this effort or just you know getting myself through college, you know. Getting my first job, you know working in the investment management business where we constantly deal with lots of little setbacks all the time I mean it's you know staying positive and moving forward you know um is i think you know important hallmark of successful people, but also an important hallmark of just getting things done uh very very few things in life if you talk to any successful entrepreneur uh you know very few of them have not had at least one major setback you know, in their vision to accomplish anything. And it doesn't, you know, whether that's, you know, a Jeff Bezos or a much, you know, somebody running their own restaurant. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you look at things that don't go the way you want them to. You try to take some lessons from that. Uh, you know, you think about uh, what you can do differently the next time around and then you, then you move forward. So, I mean, and and maybe the flip side of that is, you uh, you know, one of the reasons I think we're so determined is that we really do think the NBA wants to be back here. I mean, this is Seattle is an incredible market for a product like the NBA. Uh, you know, we have an amazing city with amazing corporate sponsorship here locally, uh, a diehard basketball fan base. I think Seattle still has the most you know NBA players per capita of any city in the in the United States. So I think all those elements are there and. And, you know, it's just really a matter of timing. And I know that that can kind of frustrate people at times, you know, uh, maybe I'm a little bit more patient than, than other people, but I really can't envision a scenario where there's not basketball back here. I think that, uh, that all those elements will result in, you know, the NBA coming here and, and hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: And do you see the NBA coming here
1: with expansion or with a relocation of a franchise? I mean, I think that's always hard to tell. I mean, uh, these relocation opportunities can crop up pretty quickly, like the Sacramento situation or like possibly what had happened with New Orleans even though that one didn't didn't crop up, you know, didn't turn into a relocation opportunity. I think that you just don't really know. so um, I think that it's it's hard to speculate but I just think that you know if there's not another opportunity that comes up in a reasonable amount of time that, that hopefully expansion will be a, a viable option.
0: And now you've spoken of not giving up. Uh, you've got a new plan submitted to city council. Tell me a little bit about the plan uh, to build an arena here
1: in Seattle. Well, I mean, we've, I, I think as you're aware, we've acquired all the land that we need to build an arena. We actually acquired all the land, uh, pretty close to a hundred percent of the land in an area that was actually zoned for an arena in Seattle. Um, and so Uh, You know, we originally in when we first put the, you know, the plan together, we had asked for uh, what we thought was a, you know, probably one of the best arena deals at the time. We had asked for the city to basically just contribute, uh, you know, or leave us with the incremental taxes that we would generate and to to finance those uh, through a bond issue. I would say that, you know, our plan isn't substantially different from a construction standpoint, uh, you know. Uh, there's been little tweaks as we've gone through the build and design process um, that we've had to uh, implement, you know, just based on other great ideas that building and planning department have put in or other stakeholders in the area have put in, including the Mariners. And um, But really the substantive change I think you're talking about is just the, you know, ability to forego uh, the public financing component. Um, a lot of things have changed. I mean, I think if you look back in, uh, 2012, we were, you know, two and a half years removed from the worst, you know, uh, financial crisis this country had seen since the Great Depression. And, you know, it's not like lenders were lining up at the door um, to completely finance a uh, private arena. Uh, I, I, you know, now that's changed. Infrastructure projects around, you know, the country and around the world are, are being financed a lot easier. Interest rates have come down. Maybe rising a little bit now, but I don't think that's going to move the needle a whole lot. So, we felt like you know that that would be a big, um, a big positive example that we could set. So, I think when you boil all those things together, it's you know it was a pretty, a pretty good decision.
0: And so, let's talk specifically: what do you need to break ground? So, to put a shovel into the ground on a, an arena in the Soto neighborhood. And so, let's talk about that from two angles: what do you need exactly from the city, and what do you need from the sports leagues, whether that's the NHL or the NBA. Uh, what do you need to put a shovel into the ground?
1: Let's start with the city component. Uh, there's two things that would be left. One is getting the street vacated, which again, you know, it's just interesting when you look back on this process, right? Like no one, when we originally pitched this proposal, you were never going to build an arena on the site without the street vacated. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those funny things about a city like Seattle Where like every little thing has turned out to be kind of another opportunity to evaluate the entire project. But obviously you would have thought when they first approved the arena project that, uh, you know, it was a foregone conclusion that they would be, uh, you know, vacating Occidental. That's really the last political thing that we need. I would say the other thing that uh, is a necessary step is just exhausting the appeals process on the EIS after the final EIS is approved. So the street vacation would be approved, the EIS would become final, and then we would have some appeals process. Um, and that 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 appeals process, I think we're pretty confident, wouldn't result in you know uh, any significant challenges to the project overall. It would be uh, small you know small things maybe that need to be done to address the issues of various stakeholders, whether it's sidewalks or, you know, uh, other types of solutions that may occur around exiting people or cars in and out of the arena. So there can be some little things that crop up, but I think we'd be pretty confident that the street vacation is our last major hurdle.
0: And then tax breaks, any tax breaks that involves?
1: I mean, the only thing that we've really asked for at this point is for the admissions tax not to apply to us. Uh, Obviously, you're not collecting admissions tax, you know, if there's no teams here. So uh not applying the admission tax to us, which the other sports teams don't pay anyway. So that's really the only significant tax benefit that we've asked for.
0: And when you say other sports teams, do you mean Sounders?
1: and Seahawks and Sounders, yeah. And then what do you need from sports leagues? I mean, then uh, we need a team, obviously. Uh, so, we're, you know, um I think these things go hand in hand. You have to appreciate this as financing – a building that's going to be well north of $500 million. The lenders to this, I mean, we're going to put in equity and we have put in, I think, over $100 million as it stands today into the land acquisition for the arena. But um, some of this, you know, particularly the piece that is being no longer funded by the city is going to be funded by private lenders. They're not going to be, there's not going to be a high degree of willingness to finance that uh, large of a ticket price on a concert-only business. So, they're going to want some commitment from a league uh, that there's a team coming here and then we could start construction. So it's not like the team would actually have to be playing here by that date, but we would have to have certainty that a team was coming in order to finance and, and start the start the project. So, and it has
0: to be an NBA team first?
1: No, I mean, it could be an NBA or an NHL team. I think that either one would probably work. Um, I would just say that um, our interest, our investor group's interest is in owning an NBA team. So... Uh, you know, we would need a partner who is interested in being the majority owner of an NHL team to put forward the bid to secure an NHL franchise. And whether that comes from relocation or expansion, that's up to the NHL and the prospective owner to negotiate that. But yeah, that, I mean, that that onerous would be on uh, somebody outside of our group. So an
0: NHL-first model could work from your perspective? There's
1: absolutely no uh, reason why it can't. There's no limitation now that, you know, we're effectively doing this privately and the MOU doesn't apply anymore. There is no restriction on on why that couldn't happen.
0: And this this question comes from a, a, one of my Twitter followers. Uh, have you had any communication with
1: potential NHL owners such as Vic Coleman or Ray Bartoszak? I mean, I, I would just say that we have talked to um, – Obviously, I mean, it's pretty well documented that we talked to both of those individuals in the past. Um, We, we, you know, had more uh, substantive talks with uh, Victor Coleman. um, And ultimately, he decided not to, you know, bid when an NHL franchise came up. And honestly, it's, you know, I mean, the thing that I think um, it's easier for sports fans to forget is that is very expensive to acquire an NHL team right now and to put in half of the acquire half of an arena, if you will. And that's a combination of putting in equity or, or, you know, guaranteeing half of the financing. This is not a small undertaking. Uh, And so, you know, I think sports fans are really, you know, adamant about wanting things right now, but it's, it's, it is a, a difficult financial, uh, you know, pull and commitment for somebody to actually do this. And then, you know, with uh, NHL prices now probably in excess of a, of a half a billion dollars, it's, it's gotten more difficult. Um, so we've talked to other people besides them. There's There's been, I would say, a host of, you know, prospective, uh, you know, NHL owners that we've talked to. And we've obviously kept in good touch with the league as well. Um, and, and they're very, you know, I think they understand our point of view uh, that, you know, basketball, we, we all have enough on our plates. You know, whether it's Pete or Eric, myself. Or Russell, I just don't think we have the personal bandwidth to successfully operate an NHL franchise and an NBA franchise and build an arena. At some point, you just reach your you know physical uh, limitations of free time and money too. So uh, the price of an NBA franchise has obviously gone up. I think all of us want to have as significant of a stake as we can in a in an NBA franchise and. And, you know, I think uh, if you just look at the price that we bid uh, in excess, you know, a little 500 some odd million dollars for the Kings franchise, I think it's pretty safe that to say that that the price of acquiring a franchise now is, you know, is up substantially from that.
0: And so what do you think is more likely, given the the balance of the leagues and what's been happening lately, an NHL decision to come to Seattle
1: or a uh, NBA decision to come to Seattle? I mean, I think the NHL has a clear desire to come to Seattle right now. So if an owner was to reach an agreement uh, with the NHL to, to uh, probably be willing to pay the price that the NBA, NHL would like for an expansion franchise, and then was, again, willing to pay, say, if you wanted to just consider it this way, half of the cost of the arena and, and take on the risk, uh, that's all it would take to get it done. What's hard for us is we're not the ones bidding on that franchise. So it's always, it would be not the right place for me to speculate on some other owners, you know, on the ability, of, ability or desire of prospective owners of an NHL franchise uh, to do that. But I would say that the opportunity is very clear and visible there. Um, when you get to the NBA, um, I think we can take Adam's comments that there's nothing imminent in terms of any expansion and then we get back to the uh, relocation thing where there's there's nothing uh, imminent there too so you know again I think that that one is a little more unclear at least in the immediate future uh, for different reasons Um, obviously the desire of our group is there and I think if a team was put up uh, for auction or a team was available to move you've never had a situation where there's not multiple bidders on an opportunity that that comes up. So, I mean, I I think it would close very quickly. You know, unlike NHL where you have this kind of open-ended opportunity to bring a team to Seattle, if this was to happen in the NBA, uh, you know, uh, it would be jumped on very quickly, uh, you know, by local people, you know, probably people outside our group, uh, you know, maybe other cities, you know, so. And and so what does that mean, this kind of, this uncertainty regarding the NBA
0: and a little bit more clarity regarding the NHL. What does that mean in terms of the best site to put a sports entertainment complex, whether that's your site versus Key Arena?
1: I mean, I think that um, our job, first, let me just address it this way. Our job is to be ready when this opportunity presents itself. I think as we saw in both the Sacramento situation and the New Orleans situation, Uh, and potentially other ones that could arise, they come up very quickly and you have to be ready to act. And you can see just by the duration of time it's taken us to get to this state. uh, If you're not, and and it's maybe another thing that we learned, you know, in going through this process, where we thought we were almost done and here we are and made commitments to the league that we were very close to having an arena shovel ready and here we are, uh, you know, over four years from that date. And we still don't have the arena shovel ready. So I think being ready is is probably the most important thing that will give the confidence and trust to the league is that, you know, you've exhausted, uh, you know, kind of all the uh, clear impediments that can slow you down. And that's going to be very important, particularly if you're bidding on an expansion or relocation, they're going to want to know for sure, particularly the NBA that, uh, 100% a hundred percent of new arena will be built there. I think they would not be interested in putting a team here and then having the political murkiness that can result in Seattle result in that not happening. That they'd be very uh, cautious against that. Um, I think as far as uh, the question of where to put it um, you know, I, I can't speak for, you know, all the different constituents that's on my job, but what I can say is that when we started this process, it was a much different time and it was very quiet, you know, when, when we were digging around and we spent a lot of time looking at every prospective site in the Seattle area. And, um, uh, I think we felt like, which I think some, like if I was to explain this to a, a teenager or a sports fan, they can't believe that we're in this situation. Right. I mean, it's like we picked an area that had the best transportation infrastructure next to two other sports arenas and that was zoned for an arena and which, you know, you would think would have minimal impact on the residents because there is no real residents there. There's no people that are actually living in this area currently and our events occur at night. So when you look back and you compare it to Key Arena, all of us were ticket holders that had gone to games here and we looked at this area and we're like you know it's not getting better the traffic situation and parking situation is not getting any better around here and this was in 2012 and uh, i think when we look forward four years from now we have amazon that's made a huge investment in the area and most of the parking inventory has been removed so i just don't you know i don't think that the situation for a potential key arena uh, for bringing in 150 plus event nights per year has improved. And I think one of the jobs that I would say is as a advocate for basketball fans, as a uh, potential owner in an NBA franchise, we want the best fan experience as possible. You you don't want your, you know, VIP seat holders and suite holders without parking and waiting in traffic for an hour to get out of a parking small parking garage or to get over Mercer, which is what happened at the end of, uh, you know, the Sonic stay at, at key arena. And there was reasons why Howard valid reasons, why Howard Schultz wanted a, you know, a significant improvement, uh, to that arena and why, you know, uh, uh, the NBA demanded that a new arena be built. I mean, there were real concerns. And so that was the basis which we, we made our decision, you know, and, and I really do think it's the right one. I mean, I think if you um, were to go to something like the Pac-12 Women's Tournament and look at how hard it was for people to get out of there, or go to a recent concert and look at how hard it is to get out of there. And then you were to leave a Mariners game with 20,000 people and be home on the east side in 20 minutes. Like these things are easily visible to people uh, who are willing to, you know, just open their eyes and pay attention a little bit.
0: The city's in the midst of deciding how, where, and when to pave the way for Return of the Sonics. If you can get a message out to the people of Seattle as to what you would like from them, what would you say?
1: Um, I would say that, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Like, I mean, it's important that, uh, you know, I know it's been a long time since, you know, we bid on the Kings franchise, but uh, we are very close to the finish line here. And if you're a Sonics fan and an NHL fan, uh, you know... Uh, don't hesitate to write to your council members and make your voice heard and and express your opinion. And if you have a strong opinion about uh, Kiarina or Soto, you should express it. I mean, and maybe if you even disagree with us, you should express it. But I mean, now is the time to actually make your voice heard on this. And then the last thing I would say on that is, uh, you know, some of the way that that came out after the last council vote obviously didn't go over very well. Um, And I think that, you know, whether it's the way the situation in Sacramento or the way that the street first street vacation vote goes, I mean, things don't always go your way in life. It's the other thing I would tell sports fans and please be respectful. I mean, a lot of the I know it's a very small segment of the of the probably Sonics fans that reacted and, you know, with with some of the uh, comments that they did to the female council members, but it only takes a few to make us all look bad. So think before you say something or write something stupid in in social media and just remember, you know, look, we all have wives and daughters, you know, how would you want them to feel about this? And so that would just be the other half of the comment is handle yourself the right way. Uh, you know, I think people have a lot of negative connotations at times about sports fans being, you know, unsophisticated or Or, you know, meatheads. And don't feed into that rhetoric. There's just no reason to do that. So, If the city proceeds with the Key Arena renovation, how will you react? Um, I don't think we'll do much. I mean, we own 100% of the land done for Arena. You know, it's not like they can take this from us. So our job will be to sit back and continue to watch. Um, I think the sports fans of Seattle should entrust that our goal is not to be an NBA owner, per se our first goal is to return basketball and hockey to Seattle. So keeping the optionality and sitting there and watching what unfolds and knowing that we're right here at the finish line, uh, there's no reason why we wouldn't continue to do that. Any concluding thoughts? Um, I mean, I would just tell people stay positive again, you know, patience is required. Stay positive, voice your, you know, opinion, Uh, keep wearing your Sonics gear and uh, you know, and if you get out to see some other NBA games, you know, show up in your green and gold. Chris, thank you very much for sharing your time and perspective today. Really appreciate it. Yep, of course. Thank you.
0: That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. We have just one episode left in this season. The next episode will feature Sally Clark. The former Seattle City Council member gives guidance on how you can effectively engage City Council on Sonic Boom Day, April 17th. The episode will also feature the voices of Lenny Wilkins, Slick Watts, Detlef Schrempf, and more that you've heard on this season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Prof Schulman for more updates on the Sonics Arena. And check out the Seattle Growth Podcast page on Facebook, where you could like and share the event announcing Sonic Boom Day, April 17th. I hope you'll join me next week. And in the meantime, I thank you for joining me on this journey that is the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast.